Good day everyone, we are back with another episode of A Lawyer and a Policy Analyst Walk Into a Bar. This is Season 3, Episode 8. As always, I am Jadrick Cummings, the lawyer. And I'm Delano D'Souza, the Policy Analyst. And today we have another good topic for you. Uh, we are going inside the United Nations Security Council as St. Vincent New Grenadines begins its non-permanent two-year term. And we have two uh, guests with us today. We do, we're going big again. Jadrick, two guests. Of course, as usual. And you're only going to really get their perspectives. I'm going to just give them a couple seconds just to introduce themselves before we move right into the pod. Uh, Jamisha, ladies first. <laughs> Thank you, Delano. Thank you for, to Jadrick as well for having us. Um, I'm Jamisha Prince. I am a counselor at the permanent mission of St. Vincent Grenadines to the United Nations. I'm also the legal advisor there. Um, right now, I am advising on some Middle East matters and some matters in Asia. Um, so Syria, for example, um, the DPRK, also known as North Korea. I advise on all of those things. Wow, that's good. I can't wait to get to pick your brain on this. And Dominic, uh, just a couple of seconds to introduce yourself to the listeners. Thank you, Delano. Thank you, Jadrick. And just to reiterate what Jimmy just said, thank you very much for having us on this podcast. I must say that, you know, having listened to the podcast a number of times, I really appreciate the, the effort that you guys are, are putting in with public education we think it's very important so we are very thank happy you, to be you, here thank you thank you to our listeners my name is dominic brisbane i am a counselor with the simmons and grandine's permanent mission to the un um, i function as a special advisor on african issues so i am responsible for a number of countries that are on the agenda of the council which include the central african republic as well as the democratic republic of congo um, as well as some regional files um, in the on the african continent i also deal with the Issues related to peacekeeping and peace building. Oh, wow, wow. All right. This this, uh, this podcast is going to be interesting because I've long <laughs> since Jadrick wanted to kind of get into how the United Nations Security Council functions on a day to day and so on. I'm sure a lot of our yeah, listeners want to. I know to get since into that season one, well. right? Since we did our first thing. Yeah, since we since we first positioning ourselves with the bid. Was that our first episode, Delano? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was. One. It was our first yeah. episode. So things really come in full circle, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely good to have you guys on. Even before you go into the background, it'd be good to hear, um, just they could probably tie in, just to hear from our guests what it was like for them moving into into um to becoming counselors on the UN Security Council. I know Jimisha moving from uh, a lawyer here and so, you know, like just going directly into that, what was it like in terms of the preparation, training? And so before we actually go into some background about what the UN Security Council does and, you know, it, what it is. Thanks, Dadrick. Um, well, <laughs> it, it was really an overwhelming um, transition because I was practicing law um, in St. Vincent. I was a prosecutor at the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions. So it's has definitely been um, a major shift for me. Um, but the preparations were quite sufficient and they have indeed prepared me well enough to be able to tackle the role that I am privileged to have now. Um, all of us have undergone intense training um, over the last few months um, to a year because we had a batch come up um, sometime, sometime around 2018. Um, September 2018 and then we had a second batch come in to join us um, in late 2019. So we've had serious preparation um, from different missions. We've had negotiations training from the permanent mission of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. They actually brought um, negotiators from the Netherlands to train not just um, St. Vincent and the Grenadines but other 
um, missions who were going to be joining the Security Council. And um, but personally, it has been, you know, quite a challenge, an exciting challenge, but a challenge nonetheless. Um, it's indeed a pleasure to be able to serve St. Vincent and the Grenadines in this way, because really that's what we're here to do. We're serving, you know, we're, we're, and we're not just serving St. Vincent, we're serving mankind because we're ensuring that international peace and security is protected. And, you know, we just hope that we're able to make a lasting impact on the Security Council. Wow. Well said. <laughs> uh, Dominic, how about, how about you? How was it for you moving into your Security Council? Well, for me, uh, my my entry was a little bit different than Jamisha's in that I'm one of the late entrants. Um, I joined the team in the end of October last year. So it was quite a, a hectic experience for me. It was very um, steep learning curve in that although I came straight out of academia where I focused uh, primarily on similar issues um, and just to, to kind of give a, a brief snapshot um, um, I, I've just completed doing a, a second master's in the field of global governance um, and this was just in August of last year um, and then I jumped from that right. straight into um, this, this new experience for me, it was it was really challenging, like Jimisha said. Um, but the the resources at our disposal um, within the UN system made it um, manageable. So we had to publicly be brought up to speed pretty quickly on issues such as the working methods of the Security Council and you know various practices and procedures that we use to carry out our task. Um, the functioning of the overall UN system, as well as the subsidiary organs that support the work of the council, um, and as well as other other things, the, the tools of the, the trade, so to speak. So, so the council uses a, a set of tools such as sanctions mechanisms that are used to shape the behavior of certain states and non-state actors that threaten international peace. So we had to, to basically be brought up to speed as to how these things, how they work, um, the way they they impact our our day to day. So altogether, it has been a, a very intense process, but a very interesting one. And for me personally, because I have a general interest in this um, area, generally it was a, a very, um, like I said, personally very rewarding. Although it has been, it has taken a lot of personal sacrifices in order to, to really stay ahead of the course. I can imagine that. Thank you. And um, you guys are among some of the youngest um, members of staff uh, uh, in terms of the different missions at the UN uh, Security Council. Is that correct? That is correct. And um, our ambassador, um, Her Excellency um, Rhonda King, she actually, she, she really loves to, <laughs> to tell people that like we have such a young and vibrant staff. Um, we're ready to tackle all challenges. We're energetic. And um, interesting to note is that I think, oh, our ratio woman to men it stands at about two-thirds dominic could correct me if i'm wrong but we are a, a female dominated staff um i think that's a uh, good thing <laughs> i think that's an excellent thing um our our permanent representative ambassador king woman um our two deputy permanent representatives are women our political coordinator is a woman or both our alternate political coordinators are women our legal advisor is a woman so we wow, yeah we yeah. Yeah. i love this song i love this song <laughs> so so our our mission is is quite a unique one we're not just young we're um we're bringing a different perspective and we're also one of the smallest teams that's something that um we we also have to highlight um 
given the fact that St. Vincent and the Grenadines is is new to this game and we're a first timer on the council and you know it's a it's a it's a very remarkable achievement for such a small country to to be elected to sit in the council um first of all but you know it's it's also really when you when you look at the the other first timers that have joined us they are much larger countries but we are one of the smallest delegations that has ever been elected so not just the not just the the, the smallest country overall by terms of population size but the the staff that we have on board to, to, to take this this mantle forward it's it's a it's a very small but very proactive um, group of people wow i can imagine that obviously the, you know the differences in terms of the resources of the countries and so on and obviously it, it was a difficult task and we congratulate you guys and st vincent grenadines again uh for being elected and i i can imagine the kind of workload that you guys have uh going on there you yeah, know, definitely. Uh, I don't envy you guys that task at all. <laughs> and I, I, I enjoy reading and learning about your experience. And I know that you guys will do our country proud. Thanks. Well, that's our goal. <laughs> um, as I said before, you know, it's it's a privilege and an honor to serve St. Vincent and the Grenadines. But it's also, you know, it's an it's an overwhelming feeling when you think of the magnitude of this responsibility and, and what you're able to help to be accomplished in the world. Oh, definitely. Uh, now, just in terms of a little background uh, for our listeners, uh, the United Nations Security Council uh, held their flag installation ceremony on, I think, Thursday the 2nd of January 2020, and that really marked uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, um, the beginning of our tenure as a non-permanent member on the United Nations Security Council. Uh, St. Vincent Grenadines will sit for the term 2020-2021. Previously Trinidad and Tobago, Jamaica, Guyana are the only CARICOM countries to have previously sat on the Security Council. And um, the council is composed of 15 members, as we all know, five permanent members uh, being China, France, uh, the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom and the United States, and 10 non-permanent members elected for two-year terms by the general assembly i think currently you guys can help me with this i think currently we have belgium the dominican republic estonia germany indonesia uh, niger um st vincent the grenadines south africa tunisia and vietnam uh, those are the 10 non-permanent members currently jimisha dominic yeah that is correct oh that's good and beyond permanency itself uh the veto power is probably the un charter's most significant distinction between permanent and non-permanent members um article 27 subsection 3 of the charter establishes that all substantive decisions of the council must be made with the concurrent votes of the permanent members and obviously the power of veto enables them to prevent the adoption of any substantive and we we'll get into this shortly in terms of uh, the differences between substantive and draft um resolutions and so on um Regardless of the level of the international support for the draft, the veto does not apply to procedural vote. And again, this is something we want some you guys to kind of explain to us. What is significant, sorry, is that the Security Council's permanent membership can vote against a procedural draft resolution without necessarily blocking its adoption by the Council. And that's a mouthful there. So I think I could probably pause now to ask you guys to kind of explain some of the common terminology 
used within the United Nations Security Council. So for example, we just went through the draft resolution, procedural votes, substantive versus non-substantive issues, and so on. Okay, I'll take that one. <laughs> um, yes, that was a mouthful, Delano. Um, <laughs> well, we, maybe we could start yeah, from... Like, uh, we always tell our guests, now, we give the mouthful and we bring you guys to unpack. True, to unpack. Well, let's, let's try to break it down. So, a draft resolution, the name speaks for itself. It's a draft. It's something that's in draft. It has not been voted on as yet. So it has no binding effect. And maybe later we could get into the process of how we even get to a draft resolution. Um, a Security Council resolution is binding on all 193 member states of the United Nations. It's an expression of the will of the Security Council. It's a proclamation of intent to do something, for instance, to establish a peacekeeping mission um, somewhere in the, role, in the world in response to um, an outbreak of armed conflict. And as you said before, it requires um, nine votes in favor. And that must include the concurrent votes of five permanent members. So a procedural vote is the process by which the council determines how it is going to conduct its business. So for example, um, a decision to convene or suspend a meeting is a procedural matter that would require a procedural vote. Um, a procedural vote does not need the concurrent votes of the permanent five. Um, it just needs nine affirmative votes. A substantive matter, this is um, what the name says. It's something substantive. It's an important decision of the council um, in which the council exercises its functions and powers for maintaining international peace and security. Um, you need the concurrent votes of the five permanent members in order to adopt um, a substantive decision. And you touched on the veto. Um, the veto is um, where a member of the permanent five or the P5, as we refer to, <laughs> fondly refer to them as, um, where, <laughs> where they vote against um, any substantive resolution. So... If a permanent member does not fully agree with a proposed resolution, but at the same time, maybe they're not fully opposed to it, they may choose to just abstain. And that would allow the resolution to be adopted once it, once it has obtained the required nine favorable votes. For some reason, I thought that even if they abstain it, it couldn't carry. So that's, no. that's interesting to know. No, and abstention does not count as a veto. Um, and just for background on this, on this P5, because I know that, you know, people think, well, where did this whole concept of the permanent five come from? And where it stems from is that when the, when the UN was created, it was conceived that five countries, China, France, the USSR, which then became Russia, um, the United Kingdom and the United States would play a key role in the maintenance of international peace and security um, because of the role that they played in the establishment of the UN. So that's how the Permanent Five came about, just as a little FYI, a fun fact. Okay, and, and right, just right. because I know a lot of people think in their mind the P5, not only in, in terms of the history that you just put forward, Jamisha, but in terms of money and the finance and those who fund the UN. So I think a lot of people have in their mind that money is why they're part of the P5, mostly that, more so than anything else. Yes, and there are also political reasons as well. Um, the other probably less known fact that I 
want to highlight is that the P5, they also formed what was known as the Alliance um, in the Second World War that defeated um, Nazi Germany, right? So those five countries were the five military powers that led to the defeat of the Nazi group, the Nazi Germany and the Axis powers in the Second World War. And they were the ones that, that really pushed for the formulation of this new um, creation to to maintain international peace and security. Oh, thanks for that, Dominic. Uh, I mean, a, lot, a little bit of history mixing in there. And uh, obviously at that time there was a need uh, to push forward with peace and to have lasting peace. And so we could see why the United Nations came about. Um, Jamisha, you alluded to it just now when you spoke. Could you kind of walk us through the decision-making process? How do draft resolutions become a vote? How do they start? That sort of thing. So, so basically, I don't know if we, we, we spoke about this sort of um, very briefly where Jamisha said that every decision of the council requires a consensus. So of the members, every decision that we, we make collectively, it requires the, the consensus of at least nine affirmative votes of member states. So the process... When a, a, a draft resolution is tabled, uh, because it requires this consensus, the, the council members that is promoting that are promoting this particular product, member or members, um, they would engage in a series of consultations and negotiations in order to achieve this consensus necessary to allow the, the draft to be adopted and to see this, this product through um, to adoption. Um, so the process really starts informally uh, with outreach, where each delegation is consulted on a bilateral basis. Um, what this really means in practical terms, it's a ton load of phone calls and emails and meetings and just non-stop consultation and a whole wrong robin of discussions so that we could come to some basic agreement um, to see what the, 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 the particular product would look like. Um, while the, the delegation that promotes the resolution on a particular issue, they could determine what the overall appetite of council members are to see if the, the the initiative will gain the, the consensus required. Following this, um, delegations then confer with our capitals for endorsement um, on the, the, the particular issues. Okay, that's good. I was about to ask you that, not to cross you, I was about to ask you that. In terms of, obviously you guys have a mission and you have an ambassador there and so on, but how, what is the level of communication um, between, so let's say Kingston in our case, uh, on a day-to-day? -day? Do you guys confer with them um, on a day-to-day? -day? How often is it that you, you require them to, to guide you the way you go forward with the business of the country? Well, it's, it's constant communication, really, because the capital is really the, 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 the brain of the, the operation. Um, we're just, the, the mission is just really the, the, the front line. The, the capital is the base, so they're the ones that have to, to endorse, give the final endorsement on any, anything of substance that we, we decide to do here at the mission. So we have to reach out to the, you know, the chief technocrats in the ministry and, and the political leadership to, to get their blessing um, in terms of our where we stand on certain issues um, to, to show what Simonson's position would be. So um, like I said, when once once the process is started, it, it then sort of becomes formalized. Um, once we, we reach out to capital, we gain that endorsement. And then from there, member states are able to gauge, okay, what's in Vincent's final position on a particular issue will be. And then we, we start a, a, a formal um, negotiation process. Right? And this negotiation process now is where we would meet collectively as an entire council, um, where each delegation would be represented um, by uh, a delegate like myself or Jamisha, depending on the issue, um, to determine the, the textual elements of the product in question. Um, so if, if it's a resolution, so let's say on, on Syria, that Jamisha often would, um, would be responsible for, she would sit into these meetings and promote um, certain elements in accordance with our interests and our perspectives to show the way that the Simmons sees the, the, the conflict in that country in the way it's, it's developing and to promote the, 
the priorities that we consider to be the, the actionable um, areas to, to settle settle gazing. All right, yeah. So as, as you were saying, like you would reach out to Capital and so on, Jamisha, would, if it's a, in relation to a particular um, area, say Syria or whatever, um, particular issue. Um, what I'm trying to find out though is does like St. Vincent have an overarching goal in terms of its its time on the Security Council in terms of its mission there? Is there um, yeah something that you set out to achieve? Is there something that you think being St. Vincent being on the Security Council can you know set, set an example for other small states or so forth because that's something that's come up a lot saying that St. Vincent is a small state um, what position do we have there? Why are we there? Do you guys have an overarching plan so to speak? We have a number of key key actionable areas that we we hope to achieve during our tenure. Um, but for one, as a small island developing state, one of the biggest issues that we're faced with is climate change. So we we hope to to raise this issue in any in every at every opportunity that we have on the council. So whether it be raising it during our statements in the council, or we or when we're negotiating the text for resolutions, we try to promote the language um, as it relates to that. But before before we, you know, we, before I dig deeper into that particular issue in terms of what our agenda is, we have to set a kind of clear benchmark relating to what smallness entails. Because this discussion is one that, I mean, within the academic community is something that has been ventilated quite often and, and many many analysts in, in, of international politics, they promote a divergent set of views as it relates to the you know, discourse surrounding smallness. And smallness could be many different things. Um, for some, it's it's done by, by measuring the population and geographic size of a country, its military capabilities, the strength of its economy. But however, in the context of the of the UN system, these attributes are often meaningless because the, the working relations among states are defined by the principle of sovereign equality. Now, what this means in practical terms is that no matter how small we are, as a delegation or as a country, right? We are equal amongst our contemporaries on the council. In this um, space, even though we don't have the veto power of the P5, um, compared to our our contemporaries, it's it's each of us have one vote on any particular well, issue. But Dominic, I'm glad you mentioned that now, because one of the questions I had uh, was that some some people have argued uh, that being an elected member and a small state. Uh, will not give St. Vincent the Grenadines any sufficient weight in the future discussions and the council and to bring forward its agenda. What are your thoughts on this? I don't necessarily agree um, with that posture, primarily because I've seen, because I've, I've actually experienced it now and I see what the dynamic is like working at the council. One of the things that, that, that sort of stands out to me is that our, our principal posture as a nation over the years, it has given St. Vincent a, a sort of brand that allows it to, to build and maintain alliances with, with other countries in the UN system. And this is because we, we have a level of trust amongst our, our contemporaries. Now, our Prime Minister has made a number of significant statements over the years that has impressed on me personally. And in many ways, it has shaped the work of our delegation. And one of these is that, and it sort of goes back to the, to the statement I made earlier in terms of the, the principle of sovereign equality, um, is that he has said time and time again that, you know, we are all equal in this world. Nobody is better than us, but we are not better than anybody else. And what this means in real terms is here at the Council, our ability to, to achieve action on a particular issue is not defined or circumscribed by our smallest. We could stand with our heads held high against each of our contemporaries without intimidation. And the other significant remark that he's made is that for small states like ours, we owe our peaceful existence to the robust body of international law that exists in this multilateral system to, to ensure peace and security and to ensure the, the sovereign equality of states. So what this means for us is that we will continue to defend and advocate these principles in 
in our work at every opportunity we have. And because we've maintained this principal position, um, many member states, like I said before, they, they look at us as a, a principal voice, as a neutral voice, as a voice that isn't um, driven by a geopolitical agenda. And this is precisely because this perception of smallness that, that many individuals and delegations, they look at us as not a geopolitical player. A lot of the times, right, when, when we talk about um, our posture, the size or the perception of smaller countries taken on, I wanted to ask you, in the context of how it's been since you've taken up this position, what is the relationship like with the other members, um, the working relationship uh, with the other members, whether it be the, the P5 or the other nine non-permanent members? Um, I, I could just jump in here. Um, I, I think, I mean, the, the welcome overall has been quite overwhelming and it has been very positive um you know i think from the outside a lot of people look on and they they see the p5 as you know this enigma and they they think that the p5 the big you know, boys are, yeah and they're they're looked at as the big bad wolves but really you know we've had only so far positive experiences um and you know the security council attracts a lot of attention not just from the wider membership of the united nations it attracts attention from the international community so you've had you'll see humanitarian organizations reaching out to us um ngos reaching out to us um and and all they've been doing is sharing insights um giving their opinions offering um, help to us in any way that they can. And um, I, I think it speaks to um, the, the success of multilateralism because that's what it shows. Our work in relationship specifically with um, council members, though, has been quite interesting. Interesting. <laughs> in the, yes, it, it's been interesting in the sense that, you know, each delegation is there to represent their own national interests. At the end of the day, that's what, it, that's what they're there to do. They're representing their countries. And in pursuit of um, representing your interests, um, you have to develop your professional relationships with your counterparts because you have to try to advance your priorities. When I just came to the UN, an ambassador said to me, you know, if you're in your mission, if you're sitting at your desk on a daily basis, you're not working because you're supposed to be out making the connections, talking with your um, colleagues, um, you know, advancing your priorities. That's what you should be doing. So if you're spending every single day in your office, you're not doing work. And um, so as with any political arena, you're going to have interests that diverge and because of that divergence you're going to see tensions probably rise to the surface but you know thankfully <laughs> in the space that we're in everyone remains courteous and respectful mm, no, nobody has cuffed, nobody knows, so. no no that's not how we operate we're respectful to each other um and it helps us to to remain amicable and helps our work in relationship you know to always be a positive one and I think now is the time I should touch on um, our working relationship, especially with the African member states um, of the Security Council. You know, over the years, SVG has um, sought to solidify its relationship with African members of the UN itself. Um, and, you know, we have a shared history and that shared history binds us. 
and now that we're on the Security Council with three African um, countries, they're referred to as the A3, by the way, and they're currently South Africa, Tunisia, and Niger. So they're, um, they're the P5, the A3, we have the C4. <laughs> there, there's the E10, the elected 10. <laughs> we have a C4. <laughs> no, no, no C4. Um, so um, we... That's when we get more Caribbean people on. Yes, that's, that's, uh, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Um, so we've created something called the A3 plus one format in the Security Council. And essentially what that what that means is the A3, the African three, and Cinnamon's Nandi Grenadines. We're the plus one. And what we do in this format is that we formulate common positions and deliver statements jointly on matters which touch and concern Africa because we want to have a focus on Africa. And actually, in, in April this month, we delivered our first joint statement um, in that formulation, in the A3 plus one formulation on Colombia. Um, and th this is the perfect time for me to plug <laughs> Prime Minister Gonzalez's um, ABCD Commission. The ABCD stands for Africa, Brazil, Caribbean and Diaspora Commission. And what, what it is, is that it's a, a cooperation in trade, transport, education, health, things like that amongst African peoples on the continent in Brazil, which is the largest population of African peoples outside of the African continent and in the Caribbean and diaspora. So yes, so um, PM Gonzalez um, came up with this idea and he, I believe he has already raised it with um, the Ghanaian president and I think he also raised it with um, CARICOM. And so that's something that we should bear in mind. You know, we have to try to advance our joint interests because of our our shared history and, you know, this connection that that we're one. So it's just interesting to know. Um, one thing, this A3 plus one formulation, I was wondering if it's the if you know if it's the first time that something like this has um, come up, because obviously, you know, the constituent members will be different each time so i just wonder if it's a unique thing this time around or in previous um council sittings have there been like um cooperations among members the a3 is a permanent fixture on the council um every year there are at least three well every year there are three african states that All sit right. there so the a3 has been the mechanism for promoting issues on the continent in a coordinated fashion but this has been the first time that any other member state outside of the African continent has has partnered with the A3 to to produce um, you know joint statements and to, like Jamisha said to to coordinate right, our right. our policy responses. So guys, we're gonna pause the discussion here for part one of this two part series. Make sure you guys tune in for part two, where we're going to move more into the specifics of the operation of the United Nations Security Council. As always, guys, I am the lawyer Jadrick Cummings, and I'm the lawyer the Souza, the policy analyst. Catch you guys for part two.